0: Amen. It is good to be with you this morning, to make much of Jesus, to remember him, to celebrate him, to know and proclaim that he is coming again. Uh, What a great time to be able to be in God's house and to be with you. I am so thankful for you. For the generosity that so many of you displayed last weekend, over Easter weekend, the resurrection weekend, the elders took a step of faith for the first time that I know of ever to continue to make a commitment that every uh, piece of the offering would be given away to our ministry partners. Uh, One of them in mid-India, around the world in India, and then one right here in Bond County for our local uh, Christian camp, Bond camp. And you were generous to the tune of $42,000 that we gave to those two missions. Let's praise God for that. Man, I'm excited about that. Also last weekend, raise your hand if you claimed one of the livestock tags, one of the the sheep tags. And and I, I pray that yours is a reminder that Jesus found us when we were lost. That's what makes Eastern Resurrection Weekend so amazing. Every weekend we remember his death, burial, and and sacrifice, and resurrection, that Jesus came to seek and save you and I when we were lost in our sin. And he died uh, having victory over sin and death. And this is my sheep tag in my office, uh, just to the right side where I look to the right above my phone there. I'm going to leave it there for a long time as a reminder that Jesus came to find me when I was lost. And I would be curious where your name, where your tag has went. Maybe it's in your car or maybe in your sock drawer. Uh, Let that be a constant reminder of the good news of Jesus. Some of you recommitted your life to Jesus last weekend. Uh, Two young men made first-time commitments to give their life to Jesus. One of them right up here, James, is going to be baptized at the end of the service. And maybe that's where you're at. You've you've committed for the first time, and you're ready to, to fully declare Jesus as your Lord and to be baptized. Man, that, that opportunity is always available. Others of you are here for the second time in as many weeks for the first time in a long time. And you know that means a lot of things. Uh, but I, what, what I want to say to those of you who returned after Easter is we pray that you always know there's a home here in God's kingdom at this church family, at Greenville First Christian Church. We're so thankful that you're here. And some of you are excited to be here for the very first time. I, I believe you're excited to, to share in God's Word and to worship, but you're also excited to hear from Doug Anderson today, right? Uh, some of you may be here for the first time. We welcome you in that. It is a blessing to have Doug. He did an amazing job for our service. He is a friend for almost 15 years now, and I'm excited for you to hear from him. But one thing that I'm encouraged by and hopeful for is that no matter your background, no matter where you've come from today, that you're ready to dive into God's Word. No matter where you're at, that we are going to, to know what God's Word says as we're done here today. Here's the question we're asking for today. What does Jesus expect us to do now? We're all left with that question after we celebrate Easter. Then the next week, sometimes it can be a little bit anticlimactic, and it shouldn't be because the resurrection should be celebrating us every day. But here's the question: What does Jesus expect for us to do now? It's our Quest fifty-two question of the week. If you're reading along, it's chapter fifty. But knowing what others expect us to do can be complicated. I don't know how many of you get this already, but sometimes you get into a situation, somebody new, somebody you haven't seen for a while, maybe it's a boss, an ex-boyfriend uh, or girlfriend, you're like, I don't know how to act, what, what's expected of me? Can anybody relate to having some awkwardness or complications with what's expected of you? Let me, let me give you some examples. Go back in time, maybe you're 10. Some of you are right there right now, it happened to you this weekend. You go over to dad and say, dad, what should I do? And guess what dad says, anybody have an idea? Go ask mom. So you go over and ask mom, what should I do? And mom says, ask dad. And you have no idea what to do. It gets awkward at times. Go ask your mom. Or how about this? This is a strange one, but it's happened. You're at work. Your team manager is fired in front of everyone. Your, your boss, the, the major boss at work, fires your team leader. The next couple of days, your team leader keeps showing up to work and telling you what to do, and you're wondering, what do I do? Or how about this? You lose a loved one. What do you do? For months, you may not know what to do, and that's okay. There are heavy things that come in life, and we're not sure what to do. A much lighter situation is this uh, at the grocery store. Let's say you run into someone in the meat section and, and you haven't seen them in months, maybe years. So here's the dilemma. Do you just say hi or do you stand and listen to them about what uh, their cousin Maud is how they're getting married in, in five months? You're like, did, what do you do? Do you say hi or do you listen to the whole story? Or how about this at the airport? You walk up to the TSA um, inspector, and, and right beside them is, is a sign that says five things you're to do. You know, you're to do this, this, and this, but you get up to the, uh, the TSA officer, and they tell you three other things, and you don't know what to do, and it's stressful. It's awkward. Or how about this? You're at your first day of work, and you realize the training starts next week, and what do you do, right? It, it can be an awkward moment. It really can. It can be complicated, Maybe you can relate to this one. Maybe your first date. How many of you knew what to do on your first date? Raise your hand if you can confidently say, I knew what to do on my first date completely. I need to talk to Larry. He had his hand raised right here. <laughs> Guys, if you're, if you're looking for advice, Larry knows. On my first date, I could have used some advice from Larry. I took this girl from church. It was a house much like this. We had a great date. I, I just got my driver's license. So, man, that first weekend, I wanted to be on a date. That's what you did. This nice girl from church, I took her to the movies. Uh, you got to remember, this is 1983. My little truck has a four speed clutch, and I was learning how to drive, a little awkward, and, and no air conditioning on a hot night. And so we go to the movie, we come back, and she had a pretty early curfew. So, so I take her, walk her up to the door, much like this. And you know what I'm thinking about what I should do, right? I'm like, I'm going to kiss her, right? I'm going to give this girl a kiss. She, uh, you know, it's, it's what's expected she is telling me, thank you, thank you for taking me to the movies. It was a good day, and we we're having small talk. Thank you for taking me to the Sandlot. Anybody remember the Sandlot? Great movie. It's what we watched that night. I still think of dropping her off every time I watch the Sandlot. So I get to the door, and I'm working up to giving her a, a kiss, and her mom, out of the second story window, sticks her head out and says, go ahead and kiss her, Tyson. I look up, and all of a sudden, I hear Dad from the inside of the house, go ahead and leave, Tyson. And so I, you know what I did? What any boy would do, I ran. I ran in my truck, you know. I was like, never dated the girl again. That was our one and only date. I praise God that Jesus has made it clear what's expected of us, that we don't have to wonder. It's not that complicated. Uh, Five times... He gives direction in his word about what he expects us to do after his resurrection and after he ascended into heaven. In all four gospels and in the beginning of the book of Acts, he says, here, here's what you're to do. Five times, God makes it clear. He he commands us. We don't have to wonder. If something is repeated in the Bible, it's what? Say that with more confidence. If something is repeated in the Bible, it's What? It's important. If something is repeated five times, I think it should be our first priority. It really should. Uh, Christ's final command to us needs to be our first priority. We see it in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, in Acts 1 are these clear calls for us to action. What should we do? Look at Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey, some translations say, all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look what it says in Acts chapter 1. We're just looking at two of the five. Here's here's an Acts Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If we have these clear examples of what Christ would call us to do, what he expects of us, then why is it so hard to do it? Why is it so hard to, to follow his example and to live, us, live up to his expectations? Why are so few Christians actually doing this? Did you know that 96% of Christians never lead anyone else to faith in Christ? 96% of Christians who claim to follow Christ never do anything to lead someone else to follow Him. That means only 4% of Christians have made Jesus' final command the first priority. Are you part of the 4% or part of the 96%? Why is it so difficult? What, what makes us nervous when we start thinking about what Jesus would have us do, even though he, he's told us five different ways, five different times? Why is it so difficult, intimidating? I think it is intimidating because we, for one, don't know how people respond. I will be the first to admit you can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and you can get all different types of responses. Sometimes no response at all. And you're like, man, I I can't take that type of rejection. It can be intimidating. But let's never forget this basic truth. What we have to share, what's been commanded for us to share, is good to share because it's good news. So much of the world has bad news after bad news after bad news. Uh, Even last night when the storm front was rolling in, that, that, that red front coming across the radar, I started thinking, boy, I don't want to hear bad news about this. We hear hear bad news all the time about maybe someone else uh, coming down with a a major sickness or a family going through hard times uh, uh, spiritually or relationally or financially. Uh, If you watch any type of news network, what they lead with almost every day is bad news. And guys, here's the cool part. We get to share, we're commanded to share good news, and it is good news. And I want you to know whether you are are, uh, currently 96% or part of the 4%, each and every one of us can share the good news. We can. We can. We can share the good news, and and what we have is really good news. It's better than the news we often share, like about the good weather, you know? It's fine to talk about weather. I'm not telling you not to talk about good weather, but boy, our news is better. It's better than the news that the Comets have won a, a basketball game or, or a soccer game or a tennis match. We have better news than even that. We have better news than even if, if a friend of yours uh, comes up to you and says, I, I want to share some of my extra mushrooms with the pastor. We have even better news. We have great news. It's the, it's the gospel. And we can all be a part of that good news. You can be a part of leading someone to salvation through Jesus and spend eternity with them in heaven. You might say, well, I don't know enough. I believe from these five verses, even from just examining two of them today, that we know all that we need. And and here's the the big part. I want you to, to be confident today that you can know all that you need to know to begin to share the good news I want to emphasize this, the concept of all. Uh, in Matthew chapter 28, there's four different times where our English language translates this idea that we have complete ability, we have all that we need to do to share the gospel. Look back to the text, and I want to highlight these four instances of all. Jesus came and said to them, he's saying to us today, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Notice that. He doesn't say teaching them to observe all that I've ever said, but he says teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know what has tripped me up at times, even as a pastor? Maybe even especially as a pastor, because uh, honestly, uh, on on the internet, and if you're watching online, uh, welcome. If you're listening on the radio, you may uh, want to listen to a pastor, the least of anyone. And I get that in today's world. Uh, There's a lot of people in today's world that says, well, what authority do you have to speak? And it used to be a preacher pastor would have authority. In today's world, I even wonder sometimes, do I have authority to speak to anyone's life? And that's a temptation that, that is wrong. But you may have the exact same question. What gives me the authority, the right, the privilege to tell someone else about how they should live, about their opportunity for salvation? What gives me that authority? What gives me the right to share about Jesus? Jesus. Jesus' is all authority has been given to me, and he delegates the authority to you and I. Not just me as a clergy or a pastor, not just someone who's went to Bible college, not just an elder of the church or a Sunday school teacher. Jesus says, if you're a follower of mine, I'm giving my authority, and I have all of it, to you. Man, that's empowering. But our world we live in has tempted my mind and has probably tempted yours. We live in a world that would say we have to be so sensitive that that we shouldn't offend anyone about anything. So you know what we end up sharing that really matters almost nothing with no one. And Jesus is saying, I have all authority, and you can tell everybody in the world that I've come to to live and to die, and I've resurrected, and I'm coming again, and they can have life through me. That is the authority we have. More than just the stage, I would suggest to you, the best time to share the gospel is probably not from the platform behind the pulpit. It is in real life with people you love. And you have that authority. So what gives you that spiritual authority? Jesus. Look what the text says. Jesus has all authority. And that's a good word. So, so that is one reason. The good word of Jesus. And then what else gives you authority? I've already hinted at it. Is a good friend. Good word from Jesus to tell you the truth. You have it from him. And then good relationships. The best time to share the gospel with someone is based on the word of God and a good relationship. God's word rings true to someone you're in a good relationship with. It gives you a voice. It lets you have a place in their life. One of our strategies right now to grow, we're going to grow out. That's all about evangelism. We're going to grow deep in God's word. That's all about discipleship. And then this last one is kind of a hybrid of both of them. It's this idea that we're going to grow young. And it doesn't mean just by age. You don't have to be a teenager to, to grow in your faith. Uh, and and you never grow out of it. But the idea of growing young together is that we would walk with someone younger than us in the faith. That we would find a friend, someone to trust us, someone that wants us to come into life and help them to know Jesus more. James, when you're baptized later today, and you're 14, Right? He needs to turn around as soon as he's baptized, and say, who's coming after me in my faith? And it may be an older family member, it may be a 10-year-old. And he can start modeling for them what Jesus has, has done for him. And he begins to walk with them, even though he's walking with someone else, one of them being me right now. And we walk together growing young in Christ. But it's about relationship. It's what gives us, gives us a voice, it gives us authority. Secondly, we're to go to all nations. Look what the text says. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I want to admit, the all nations is probably not the emphasis here. What the emphasis in this sentence is, Jesus saying, you're going to go. It is understood as Christ's disciples, as his followers, you're not going to stay put. You're going to be going. This this could be translated as you go. We know you're going, so as you go, go to all nations, which basically means go to all people. It may mean you cross a boundary to a new nation to to minister to foreign people, maybe in India or Mexico. As you go, wherever you go, be sharing the gospel. It may mean you just cross your street to your neighbor. It may mean, this is radical, you just literally go across the dining room table to talk to a family member. I would suggest that's where you start. But as you go, when you're going for me, you're gonna go everywhere to all people. But where do you start? I really wanna know where to start. He tells us in Acts chapter one, verse eight, we already read that, but listen. He says, you'll be my witnesses. You're gonna go on my behalf in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the order of where we should go. The first one is this, you're Jerusalem. We don't live in Jerusalem. Most of us live in Greenville, or Wise Town, or or Pokey, or or Hillsboro. You might be from Springfield today here to see uh, Doug. Wherever your home base is, that's your Jerusalem, your hometown. Start there. It doesn't help very much to say, I'm going to go for Christ, but I'm never going to talk about him in my hometown. You know what you're going to be seen as? is hypocritical. Well, I'll go around the world to do mission work, but I'm not going to share my faith right here. No, you start in your Jerusalem, your hometown, and then you go to your Judea. That is the region, that, that's where you live. Maybe it's Bond County or Fayette County, wherever you live. It may be the St. Louis metropolitan area if you're from St. Louis. But you're going to go to your region. Then you go to your nation, your Samaria. You you keep expanding out. You're going to make sure everyone you come in contact with. And then uh, the Bible gets really specific. Jesus says you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And that's, that's really special terminology there. You know what that translates to English? To the ends of the earth. It means you're going wherever you go. Everywhere you go, as you go, you're going to be going for me. No matter where you go, do you know a big part about evangelism and discipleship? God has established in Acts an amazing thing to be our tool or our, our help for individual discipleship. It's the church. The church is to come together to worship, to remember, uh, to serve together, uh, to, to study together. But the church is also a, a major tool to help lead someone to Christ. While only 4% of Christians are currently leading someone to Jesus, a big part of those 4%, uh, a vast majority of them, uh, they pair with also talking about Jesus to just inviting their friends to church. You know, like, I, I've tried it before, and it wasn't a success. Did you know this? This is a new statistic in the last couple of years. One out of every three people who currently don't go to church right now would come if they were invited by a friend. Just think about that. One out of every three people that currently don't go to church would come if a friend would invite them, because you have a relationship, uh, you have a voice, and now that's not everyone that you're friends, but one out of three, that's pretty good odds. You're like, but I've invited my friends, they haven't come, I've invited a bunch of friends, and, and you know how many times you invited them, maybe once or twice? They have found that even those that are ready to come to church take at least three invites for them to actually show up. Generally speaking, it's not because they don't want to come right off the bat. It's they're busy, just like you're busy. They've got a soccer game to go to. They've got a family event to do. They're working on Sunday. So you've got to be persistent and say, hey, I'd really like you to come to church. Would, would you come with me? What, what we've done in the 80s and 90s we say, hey, come to church. I'd love to see you sometime. And then when we don't see them for a year, we're like, oh, "They didn't want to come to church. No, you invited them once. And you told them, I'd like to see us sometime. They don't even know where your church is. They don't know what time you worship. So here's, here's a way to invite better. Say, I go to the 1045 service at Greenville First Christian Church. We're, we're right south of the uh, football field. I'll meet you in the parking lot at, say, 1030. We'll go to our uh area. We'll get a cup of coffee, and then I will sit with you in church. And then after church, here's the real kicker, your odds of having someone come go way up and say, I'll take you out to eat. <laughs> your chances go from, like, 1 and 3 to, like, Seventy-five percent, probably. But we need to be specific with our invites. We, we need to we need to share with our friends, and, and be specific about what church is. Say, hey, at ten forty-five we have the full band. At eight thirty, if if you like uh, hymns and traditional, we can do it there. Uh, we we have worship. We share in communion. Uh, Tyson usually stays uh, uh, pretty short in his sermons. He he's pretty normal most of the time just ignoring the rest of the time but but the rest of all that's you can come dressed the way you are you don't have to wear a suit or a dress be specific about what you're inviting them to and then he also says teach them all jesus commanded this is a hard one i don't know all jesus said I can't teach them everything Jesus said, but look, it doesn't say teach them everything Jesus says. It says, teach them all that Jesus commanded. And Jesus' commands aren't burdensome, are they? In fact, Jesus in scripture is debating people. He's not debating. They're debating him. Well, you're not teaching this and you're not teaching this. What about this command? Which is greater than this command? And Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. It's really simple. And you may already know the commands of Jesus because they're our mission at our church. About four years ago now, we established a new mission statement. It's real simple. Love God, love people, and serve all. And if you know the first two parts of the mission, you know what Jesus commanded. He's in this debate with people, and look what he says. He says, um, love God and love people. He says, those are the greatest two. We're going to get to that in a minute. He says, that's it. If you can know that and you can teach that and live it, you can teach what Jesus commanded. By the way... I'm very thankful for this new picture. It, it keeps our mission right in front of us, across from a new commons area. I am super excited about the commons area because that can, that can help you bring a friend to church, go there and get coffee, hang out and then come to church. I am so thankful for that. I am thankful that this church has been committed to have a place, a building that helps us do ministry. And if we're not doing the ministry of Jesus, this is a building that is just a building. But when this building is focused on loving God, loving people, and serving all, God works among us, and I'm so thankful that that people for 100 years have been investing within this church body in a place that does ministry for Christ, and you've done well. One of the guys that always worked really hard at making sure this place was ready to do ministry and worship was Jim Nesbitt. There's a picture of him uh, back in the day when all the hallways were carpet. I think he uh, like uh, cleaned the carpets like every other month, you know. He was dedicated. He was our custodian for years. He was an elder, a deacon for years. Yesterday, we had his funeral here. And we were able to celebrate not only he as a servant of God, but he knew the way to God through Jesus. And I, I want to praise God for Jim. Let's give God glory for Jim. Before the mission of the church was love God, love people, serve all, Jim was doing it. He loved God, loved people, and he served, whether it was the carpets or the kids. Man, I praise God for that. And and people are debating, well, what's really important to serve? Is it theological things? Is it a question about sacrifice? And Jesus says, hey, what I want to command you is this. Listen to the word. He says, the most important one, Jesus answered, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He says, if you want to focus on two commandments, and he did. Love God. Love people. Service flows out of that. Love God. Love people. But Tyson, I get nervous when I tell them about Jesus and how I love God and how I love Jesus and how I love them. They're like, but what about this? And they ask some deep theological question that, that I have no idea about. What do you do when you, when you get a deep theological question and, and all you're really wanting to focus on is the commands of loving, God, and loving people, and you have this question they can't answer, go talk to D, Monday through Friday, okay? He'll that's a bad way to put that. You know what you do first? You get into the word. You can get on your device and and, and actually type into your device, what does the Word of God, what does the Bible say about this question? And you know a a lot of times people ask a theological question, and it's not even in the Bible. We make mountains out of something that God never thought mattered. And if it's in the Bible, we stick to it. And if it's not in the Bible, we can be silent about it. And if you still have questions after that research, we'd love to talk to you. Talk to an elder. Talk to another Christian friend. Talk to myself or Dee. But we don't have to be afraid of questions because we have good news for all people that Jesus died for them and and he's coming again and we can have a a, a life forever with him. So so we have authority through Jesus. He's called us to go to all people in all places to, to focus on these two commands, love God, love people. You can do that. And here's a great encouragement, this last all, and this is a little bit of a stretch. He'll be with you always. It's not even something you're called to do. He's just saying, Jesus, I'll be with you always. It's a promise from Jesus. You're like, how has that happened? He, he arose, but then he sent to heaven. He says, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Look what he says in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You don't have to do this on your own. You're like, but it's my mission. I've got to do it on my own. I've got to work. I've got to have all the words. I've got to get all my ducks in the row. And then I'm going to r- finally reach out to someone. You know when you'll reach out to someone if you have to get all your ducks in the row? Never. But Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I- I've called you to God's mission, not your mission. Never forget this. We have been called into the mission of Christ to be his witnesses. And it's God's mission. And we're joining him you're joining God, you're joining Jesus, you're joining uh, the team here at at Greenville First Christian Church. But we, what is expected, and don't miss this, you to be his witnesses, you to share the good news. That's what's expected. So I wonder, before we move on, before we close the day, who is Jesus, who is God, who's the Holy Spirit putting on your heart to share the good news with? What's that one name that's popping into your mind right now that you know needs to hear the good news? What's God working in your life to say, you have all that you need, now go and share? Who is it? Don't don't let it fade away. Who's God working on your heart? Who's he ready to work in your life with? What's that one name? For years, at the beginning of my childhood, it was Nathan. That was the name. Nathan was a good friend. Uh, Probably from kindergarten all the way through high school, we spent most weekends together in some fashion, whether it was on the basketball team together, same grade, same school, uh, whether it was some extracurricular activity, whether it was just hanging out at each other's house. I started inviting him to VBS whenever I was a kid. Man, we spent a lot of time together. We always also went to summer camp together, Bible camp, and it was a great time. Over the years, he became natural. It was like his camp, just as much as it was mine. That was awesome. But every year, I would invite him. Going into our senior year, I was a little intimidated. I started out. I was like, well, Nathan won't really want to go to camp this summer. We both had jobs. We were both playing summer basketball. Uh, he had a girlfriend. He had a nice new car. He wasn't going to have time for camp, so I put off asking him. Finally, I asked him one day, hey, Nathan, you're really busy. you got a lot going on. I said, do you want to go to camp? He's like, I thought you'd never ask. I'm going to go to camp whether you ask me or not. I mean, he, he was in. So at camp, we had a great week. I think it was the last night of like worship time, Vespers is what we called it. The, the preacher, I don't remember who it was. He was saying, if you've been following Jesus, if you're growing closer to Jesus, there comes a point when you need to fully be all in. You need to give your life to him. You need, you need to say with your mouth that he's your Lord. Nathan never done that. There needs to be a point when you repent of your sin. That's something personal that we all have to do. And there was one more thing that Nathan had never done. He had never been immersed now, he's almost 18 now. He'd never uh, fully given his life to Christ. so oh, he, he was making decisions to do this or that. He was a good guy. We got back, though, to the dorm that night, about ready for bed. It's probably midnight. He said, Tyson, man, great week at camp. You know, we were talking about this, probably talking about girls, too, by the way. We were, we were 17, all right? And so he said, I've never, never been baptized. I need to do that. I need to make Jesus my Lord. So I said, hey, let's do it. So we went to talk to our dorm dad. He was a minister, now serving in Illinois, still staying in contact with this guy. He's like, absolutely. He took Nathan's confession, just us three, and we went out to the camp there at Camp Leanna, and my friend Nathan was baptized after midnight that night, and I'll still remember it to this day. What an amazing moment where I saw my friend give his life to Jesus and be made new in, in Christ. What's even more amazing than that, Nathan has been sharing his faith with friends. He's also been sharing his faith with his family. And this past year, I was able to see a picture. I didn't get to witness it, but he baptized his daughter into Jesus. And it continues, and it continues, and it continues. But who has Christ put on your heart to continue that? Are you going to be a part of the 4% that, that does it? Because I would love that 4% turn into 44%, uh, 94%, and every single one of us to step up a plate and say, Jesus expects me to share the good news, and I'm going to do it, and it's a joy. Because when my friend got baptized into Christ, and he became new in him, The joy. When I see him sharing his love of Jesus with others, it's a joy. And every time someone gives their life to Jesus, the kingdom grows. What does Jesus expect us to do? To work in your life, to bring people to Christ. Doug Anderson, another one of my friends, is going to come right now. He's going to sing a song. It's called God Works. And it's a testimony as well of God being ready to work continually in you. What is that name that's in your heart right now? Turn that over to God during this song and and say, God, I want you to work in me to lead this person to Jesus. And just about the time you think it's impossible, God will work. Amen? He will. I'm going to pray, and then I, I would ask that you to open your heart. James and I are going to go ready to, to, for him to be baptized during this time. If you'd like to talk to someone, D is around, uh, an elder's around, talk to a friend. Brian's right up here on the front. If God's working your life and you've heard the gospel and you want to respond, man, let today be the day. Father in heaven, I thank you that you're working, that you've, in, you've invited us into your mission and it's, it's your mission, and we're partners in it. Help us to share your good news, to be your witnesses. Let us be clear of what's expected, and then let you work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.